Hey, yeah. you to know. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back to We Gotta Talk About. This is Maya. And this is Caitlin. Yo, I'm so hyped for this episode, honestly, because I've been waiting to talk about mutual aid and I've just been like a real nerd about it. And I've nothing, that. nothing as someone who like has had no idea how finances work for the longest time, like finding out about all of these like alternative options, investing money and like redistributing money is like <sighs> amazing. I feel you, girl. Anyway, so how was your trip? Tell uh, us all about Florida and um, why it no longer belongs in the U.S. Because Yeah, so you guys, okay, we're going to talk real quick about, okay, so I, if you don't know me, I've been very public on social media about all of the traveling we've been seeing people do because specifically it seems like with my own personal community of people that I choose to follow on social media. Um, I just saw a lot of trips to Tahoe and Vegas and Southern California and leaving the States and just traveling a lot throughout San Diego and renting boats with like 20, 30 people. And I'm just like, you know, it's one thing the guidelines say 10 people, even if you Mm want to go to like 10 to 12 people, I'm probably not going to judge you for having one or two extra. But like when I'm seeing you guys like 20, 30 deep, living your best lives, taking these trips, staying in these houses. And the thing is, is we don't know who is tested, who isn't. We don't know anyone's results. I totally get that. But my whole thing is if you're not going to make it public that all your people are good to go, then don't be mad at criticism that comes your way. Because for all I know, y'all don't know. You haven't been tested, asymptomatic, whatever the case may be. We don't know. Some of us are trying to take it really seriously when the only thing I've done is went from one county to the neighboring county. And that was my extent of traveling. Like, it's just really unfortunate to just see people living lavishly. Anyway, So you've been vocal about this, like since the beginning of COVID, because like me and you both have felt like so guilty doing anything Yes, because like we know, first of all, we know that we often get turned away and like dismissed at the hospital. Like people aren't going to take either of us seriously when we go in for healthcare, even if we have insurance, which like I'm unemployed right now. So I'm lucky that I'm only 25 and I'm on my parents, but feel me because I'm unemployed in 27. And so I'm not living that life. And so it's like, what are we like? Of course, we're going to be extra cautious and upset that like people are just running around doing whatever they want. Right. And so to give you guys some reference to today is what August 12th, I believe. So that just gives you a frame reference. We've been sheltering March 13th was the Friday that I heard that my bar was shutting down. I would no longer be working and that they were going to be getting us information about unemployment coming up because the whole nation was going to be taking a pause. So I am now what March is the what month girl, let me do my math third month and we're in the eighth month. So it's been five months officially now of sheltering because I, oh, yeah, at, exactly. I was at the bar. I was at my sister bar on Friday, March 13th, standing next to my owner who bought me a drink because he was like, you will no longer be working for the foreseeable future. Here's a drink. (laughs) And that's literally what happened. So that just gives you guys reference of, you know, I was supposed to be taking a trip, finally leaving the continental U S to go to the Virgin islands for a friend's wedding that got canceled. Like plans got canceled. Just like everybody else's plans got canceled. I had been trying to see my parents for months and now knowing that that was delayed, like I had a birthday, you know, I did everything right. So anyway, finally my mom was like, listen, 
And I reached out to her and I was like, tickets are really cheap right now. And I was like, if I come through, I just, I really don't want to go anywhere. I'm just not comfortable with it. Like, we'll see how I feel when I get there. We'll see what I see when I get there. Because Mm -hmm. all I know is what I see on the internet about Florida and what my parents tell me about their own environment. So we have stipulations. So you guys, I went to Florida. Let's talk about it real quick. Okay. Maya, Maya, Maya. So I flew from LAX to San Jose. And I did that to grab my things because I was in the LA area. I grabbed my things to go to Florida. That flight was beautiful because Southwest does not allow middle seats to be purchased through October 31st at this point in time. Nice. So at least sitting next to someone, it's really only like a three foot space. If that really, I mean, it's really close proximity, but you are required to wear your mask on every single flight, no matter the airline, unless you are eating or drinking. So it's the same type of guidelines as if you'd be in public outdoor dining is essentially what it is on a plane. Okay. Flight there. Fine. I hop on my flight. I have to have a layover in Dallas from San Jose to Dallas, three hour flight. I'm sitting next to two women. So there is no middle seat. This is American Airlines. I wasn't aware. I don't believe that I was sitting next to two people when I bought my ticket. So clearly that happened. It was a pretty full flight too. It didn't really seem like there was any leadway on people moving around. I was really shocked and I was really upset and I was trying really hard not to be upset and like not to cry and just be like anxious because I was just like, if I knew this was how it was going to be, I don't think I would have gotten on this plane. Yeah. And I thought that they were going to have like really strict guidelines on like how full the plane could be. I'm thinking my bar has to have a certain capacity. All restaurants have to, but we're not mandating a certain number of like 50% to 75% occupancy on a plane Mm -hmm. so that people can be comfortable enough to just not have middle seats at the very least. So, and it was also bad for me because I didn't research American. We just bought you know, the cheap flight with the shortest layover to get me there. Okay. So then on my flight from Dallas to Orlando, I, oh, so I'm walking to my seat, Maya, and I see this freaking white couple in my row and I'm the window seat Mm -hmm. and there's a guy in the aisle and his woman in the window seat. So she's in my seat. So not only do I already have to worry about like disinfecting my space from just the previous people who flew the Mm -hmm. plane, because even Southwest has said now, like we have been disinfecting the seatbelts, the seats, the seat back pockets, but they were like, we're going to start pulling back. So they're not disinfecting even all of those areas now because it's so much work and time. And I don't know. I don't know the reasons. I'm assuming that has to be the case. They're in an American. When I hop on the plane, they give you a little bag with a I don't know six eight ounce bottle of water, a bag of stale pretzels, and one disinfectant wipe, and that's what you have for the longevity of your flight. Anything you want to eat or drink, you must bring on by purchase yourself or brought through TSA. I would have I would have filled up one of the little travel size things, like a little spray bottle with bleach with like Clorox in it. I definitely was like, whoa, I had latex gloves, but I was so, well, I was so unprepared because I just did not do my research. So I get there and I'm like, that's my seat. And they're like, oh, okay. And they like have their food out. Like they're ready to like have their little picnic. And I'm like, so now I'm sitting in the seat that you're sitting in and the flight attendant sees it happen and bless her heart. She looks at the couple and she's like, you know, if no one comes on, 
this exit row behind you is free. You guys are more than welcome to move back there. She's like, it's extra leg room. And I was, I wasn't really paying attention. I was putting my stuff away. And so the couple looks at me and they were like, you know, would you mind? And I was like, oh, do you want me to move? Like, I'll move. I was like, I wasn't really paying attention to what she said. Oh, I would have taken that row. Yeah. And they were like, they were like, no, no, no. Like we'll move it. You can have this row because he was like, I'm six one. I like, I could use the extra leg room. They were like, um, her mom is in that row across from us. And it's, then it was like, yeah, your mom can also move to that back row too. And so I was thinking like, you know what? Y'all can go ahead and move. It still gives me a row. I don't really care. I was like, yeah, do you. I don't need an exit row. I'm just one person. <clears throat> so I moved to the middle seat so I can ensure nobody else just sat near me in case anybody mm-hmm. else came on. And then I was fine and good to go. But that was my experience going there. And I'm just like, that was not what I expected. God bless. And like the, another flight attendant was trying to like not allow them to move. And the lady was like, Oh no, I told them they could already move. Like, and then I saw her talking to her at the front of the plane. And I'm like, is homegirl really going to get in trouble for allowing us to space out when there's a full exit row behind us, a fully capable people who can assist, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, yeah, I just don't like, I don't understand why we have declared a global pandemic and airlines think that, like, it's an issue to space people out. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Because I'm, I know Southwest is making their fucking coin right now because they're keeping middle seats oh, open. Oh, for sure. Because they have been doing a majority of disinfecting way more than other airlines have been doing. I'm convinced airlines aren't even doing... I don't even think they were doing it before. I don't, even think, I don't think so either. Expecting it either. So it was just kind of like... Come. Have you ever gotten one of those, like, uh, those blankets that just, like, are crusty? Because oh, they literally you know don't if even don't wash come them. In the plastic, it ain't touching the skin. No, I've gotten them in the plastic like that. Oh, see, uh-uh. I don't even think, I don't, I don't even know the last time I've used a blanket, to be completely honest. I think I just, like, purposely wear cardigans or hoodies so that I can just, like, bury myself in them. Yeah. But yeah, I feel you, though. So, doesn't it, isn't it funny, because of this pandemic, hasn't it put everything in perspective for you, just how dirty we were in general? Like, I just think about how blasé I just was in my normal day-to-day life living life in the service industry in general, you're just touching. That's what I'm saying. Like, like no glove, like just like the floor is literally sticky. And I, and And we were just walking around and I, you know, I just, I just, and that's why I'm kind of just like, (laughs) I just don't, it makes me cringe. Like I think about going to Vegas again and like, I'm going to be that bitch in some latex gloves when I'm at a poker table, because I'm like, I'm supposed to be touching all the same cards that you're all touching. Listen, I'm only wearing latex dresses from now on. <laughs> That's going to be, listen, this is going to be my new Vegas look. Homegirl is only going to the buffet and to gamble. I'm not going to any clubs. You could catch me somewhere else. I'm wearing a full <laughs> latex dress. You can wear your club dress under it. <laughs> Listen, a full, like, you know, you know that material that they like make the dresses out of? Like the yes. really, okay, I'm gonna wear that because yeah. everything just slides off, right? Yeah. I'm gonna wear that and I'm gonna just be, I'm gonna be rocking like some nice long gloves oh. that are fashionable, but still <laughs> like, I want to get home, just strip and just put all of it under the, the We're sink. I'm gonna be walking around like Lady Gaga because everyone's gonna... <laughs> No, but seriously, I so, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, we're, oh God, I don't even know how long we've been talking about this. But yeah, you guys, I took a flight to Florida. I just want to tell you a couple things I saw in Florida before we move on to our actual topics. Because, you know, things were fine. Everybody was wearing their masks because now it is mandated in Florida. Like to enter any establishment, you need to have a mask. 
I didn't think it was like that. I kind of thought it was a do what you please in, in that area of Florida. Um, but anyway, so uh, when I get in, oh, we were driving to a beach city because there is a restaurant that requires you to be temperature checked at the door and you have to have a mask to enter. Because of that, I haven't even been temperature checked at any place in California and our county has had one of the highest numbers. I'm kind of surprised that's actually not a requirement for these places to be open to allow people to walk through their doors. Now that I think about it, because the fact that they're doing it in Florida and I'm sure it's just because the numbers are rising or whatever's going on. Yeah. But on my way, I look to my right to an old, what used to be Ford car dealership to see big trucks for Trump 2020. And I was like, damn, I really thought I was going to get out of here without seeing this shit. And I didn't, I didn't. It was the second, first or second day I was there. I think it was the second day I was there because my dad cooked the first night I was there. So yeah, second day. I think that's cute that you even thought that. (laughs) You know, that's how optimistic I'm trying to be about these things. I'm trying to be like out of sight, out of mind. Maybe these people aren't crazy. It's everywhere. No, they are though. And it wasn't in my parents' direct city. So I will say that. Not to say that those people probably aren't voting for Trump either. It's just... (laughs) And people were honking. We were sat at the fucking stoplight. I'm sorry to curse, but like, seriously, I was so... I would have started playing fuck Donald Trump real quick. Oh my goodness. And I I pulled up to my volunteering spot last week and they were playing that song extremely loudly. And I was like, I'm loving the vibes today, y'all. Like... Thank you. This is the greatest walk-up music I could ever have. I appreciate it. But yeah, so that did happen. I wish it didn't, but it did happen. People were clearly supporting. It was a large group of people. Um, and then the last thing I just want to touch base on was I had a four-hour layover in Dallas. You know, my hometown, my roots, those are my people. I don't know where this guy was from, but he walked up to the bar and he's like, I want a beer to go and two waters to go. And the bartender, nice white lady, was cheering for the Rangers, had the game on, you know, whatever. We were bonding a little bit. She's like, oh, yeah, you can't take beer to go. So that's another thing about the airports. It, at every airport, you're not allowed to take any alcoholic beverages onto your flight. They okay. have, like, basically, like, the only people who are allowed to get alcohol on a flight is first class, and they have to request it. I didn't know that people even tried doing that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so people probably, like, people who brought bottles to go through TSA, they were like, no, sorry, like, you can't, you got to toss them. Like, even, so you can drink before you get on your flight, but you're not allowed to take anything alcoholic on your flight. So this guy goes, what do you mean I can't get a beer to go? And she's like, CDC guidelines, I can't give mm-hmm. alcoholic beverages to go because of the pandemic. Like, she says these things. <laughs> and she's nice about it. And he's like, but this is Texas. And I'm just sitting there looking at this white man like, bro, are you really about to do this? And I was like, this is not happening to me right now. These things just happen on the internet, right? They don't happen in my community. I'm being really facetious, you guys. Um, (laughs) But it's happening. And so he goes, fine, I'll just take the waters. Just takes the waters, grabs them, and just walks out. Can't even tip the girl a dollar for pouring up some water for you to take on your flight. You just got free water. You can't buy a bottle of water anywhere in an airport for less than $3.50 these Mm -hmm. days. So, like, you're just a dick. And those are my two experiences flying back, you know, like everybody was social distanced, you know, one time use menus, the exact same thing I basically experienced in California. My flights there, I managed to have my own row to Dallas. And then I managed to have the middle seat empty for me from Dallas back to San Jose. So, I mean, that was just luck though, because the flights weren't that busy, but 
yeah, I posted a picture of my parents and I told everybody, I still recommend y'all don't travel if you don't have to. If you have to, you need to ensure, um, you know, airlines, what their specific guidelines are, the kind of things. Because like I said, we're now August, almost mid-August already. I swear we just started August mm-hmm. yesterday. Um, time is zooming by. Could be, I, I don't get it. Um, I thought it was going to feel slower with all of us having to, you know, adapt. I thought that too, but I feel like I'm actually 10,000 times more productive and I'm doing a lot more now. And you know this too, cause like you've been a lot more creative too. Like all of my creative little projects and ideas that I had in my head, I'm actually able to do them now. And so because I actually enjoy doing that kind of stuff, like the time just goes by and I'm like spending time with my family. True. It's like, and that's the thing. I haven't seen my parents. It was 18 months. So I was like, you know what? If anyone's worth the risk, it's seeing my parents. I'm not mm-hmm. celebrating a birthday. I'm not doing some big wedding. Like I'm going to see my parents and sit in their house with my dogs and yeah. like, watch Hamilton. I watched Hamilton for the first time, Maya. Okay. So I've, I've only ever seen the first half because I tried to watch it when it first came out on Disney plus when my sister was here. Okay. But like, I don't know. I just have a lot of opinions on Lin-Manuel Miranda um, as another Caribbean person. Um, I also, I mean, I have a lot of, <laughs> I literally have a tweet drafted right now where I'm like, as a Caribbean. Just showed me the screen of her phone. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like literally, I didn't, I didn't write this right now, but like I had it in my drafts and I'm like, should I just tweet it? And it's like, as a Caribbean and South Asian woman, I just want to say no amount of representation could ever make me happier than abolishing the police. Um, <laughs> because Kamala Harris just got announced as VP candidate. So, um, yeah, I was, I was iffy anyway, going back to Hamilton. I was iffy on like watching it because I was like, I just, I know some of the shit that Lemon Will Miranda did like during the hurricane in Puerto Rico and was like supposed to go down there and perform his show, which no one asked him to do. Um, and then give the pros like donate the proceeds, which I'm pretty sure he never did. And so I just like he it just seems like he's using the fact that he is like, you know, a first generation Puerto Rican American to like make money. That's exactly what he did. So yeah. I don't like that. Hey. I do love David Diggs though. So like I was really excited when I saw him in there. <laughs> so okay, so I and here's the thing about me guys with Hamilton is all I knew, it was like Game of Thrones with me. I just kept hearing the buzz about it, never mm-hmm. seen it, wanted to see it, knew I was going to see it at some point, just never got around to it. Yeah. Thought I was going to see it at home with a man, never happened. So finally, my mom was like, you still haven't seen it? Okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to watch it. I've read the opinion pieces on it. My my concept of Hamilton in my head was already getting diluted just because I have read a bunch of opinions about it, how people feel pro and con, mm-hmm. people who are like super stands of it. My parents have seen it twice now live. Like, wow. So I was like, okay, people really like it. People are studying it, like whatever. And then I watched it and I really was like, okay, I understand the idea. I gave it a solid seven out of 10 strictly because of the music and the way the words were presented in rap. Besides that, honestly, in regards to like the story at hand about Alexander Hamilton, all the things that were left out that were not showcased, knowing all the things that people feel about Linwood, like, you know what I'm saying? I just, I couldn't go further than that. And I was literally only giving it to, it wasn't necessarily the writing. It was just how it was written. And the fact mm-hmm. that the music was fantastic. 
But besides that, when I go see it live, I don't know, maybe my mom says I should just because she's like, you should just go see live things. And I'm like, yeah, sure. We'll see. I don't know. I just don't want to give my money to that. I'm still trying to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Like that, that cost a, a, a freaking leg. So like, I don't know if those are going to resume. So, you know, like I have priorities, you know, I'd rather see the Nutcracker before I think I'd spend some money on Ooh, The Nutcracker is so good. I, I like grew up in good. the theater because like my parents, um, they lived in New York for so long that that's just like a very normal thing to do because there's so many like small theaters. So like they're big, like theater people. And then my little sister is in musical theater too. So like, we've always been huge supporters. So we go to everything, like love that wherever we've lived. But the thing that bothered me the most about Hamilton was like, you put together this great cast of people of color representing something from like our history. Cause a lot of us, you know, like we've talked about this before, America's the only country we've ever known. So like, this is like the history of the country that we live in. Speak on it. So I really like that. But like, what person of color could afford tickets to Hamilton? And that's what I said to my mom. And she was like, that wasn't his fault. Those are the scalpers fault. And I'm like, I don't care whose no. fault it was. It's <laughs> the simple fact. That you wanted to ever... have it on Broadway. Yeah. And you, and you know what that takes. Here, here's the thing with me. How the hell am I going to look as someone who's trying to write a book who would, of course, would love to see TV or movie rights sold of this book. And all I'm going to mm-hmm. do is be like, actually, no, never mind. I'm just going to take it straight to Broadway, where it's $300 a ticket, and the only people that are going to see it are rich white folks or, like, super rich elite people of minority yeah. who hold high power of opinion. Because that's the only people who are going to have access to it. I mean, it's the same thing that Ryan Coogler talks about in Black Panther. Like, there's a reason why there are those themes in Black Panther, and it wasn't just another Marvel movie. They're touching based on Oakland Girl, and the fact that movie. These- kids you know what I'm saying and like people anyway getting off topic but (laughs) what's new (laughs) so we understand with Hamilton I finally watched it Maya will maybe at some point watch the second part I don't know do you even care do you even want to see it are you gonna watch the other (laughs) thing that he's putting out what is it into the heights in the heights in the heights Um, not your hood right or is it not your hood a different hood I mean, it's not really my hood. I mean, that's where Dominicans, a lot of them live in Washington okay. Heights. Um, but most of them live in the Bronx. But I don't know. I don't know. I think, I don't know. Are they putting it on Netflix or Disney Plus? I don't know what's happening. I have no idea. But yeah, I'll, I'll probably watch the second half of Hamilton. But like probably in like a year when I've completely forgotten about it. Okay. And I'll be like, oh, I'm bored. Like, I'll just watch it. I don't just, know. Yeah, finish it. I'm not too All right, so let's actually <laughs> hit our topics of the day. So Maya did tell you guys that she's going to touch on mutual aid, not even touch on, we're diving into it. Yes. Because of that, I'm suggesting I go first with mine so we can just knock it out because we really need to take a lot of focus and listen in about mutual aid. Maya's going to have a lot to give you guys on it, and I just want yes. that to stay fresh in your mind as you leave us. So this topic is Greek life in college because we both have – perspectives, opinions, thoughts. And I only have like quick little head points to talk about, but I don't know how much we've touched base on how that's me and Maya met was the Greek life at San Jose Mm -hmm. State. I don't know if Maya and I would have crossed paths without the sorority that we were both in. Um, And again, that's because I was only in that realm. And if Maya wouldn't have joined that house or the Greek life in general, I just don't know. I don't know if we would have had mutual friends outside of that that would have allowed us to cross paths like that. So, yeah. Speaking on that, um, and moving forward, I don't know. I don't know how Maya feels about talking about 
specifically our organization that we were in. I'm not even going to say their name because I don't even want to say the name. Ooh, I have no problem. Oh, she wants to see. <laughs> and this is the thing. Okay, so <laughs> preface, Caitlin still probably has 20 or less close people from the organization that she would call friends who would know personal information about myself. Uh-huh. That I would think only 20. I don't know if that's true or not. So. I have Zero. <laughs> really, is it really zero for you? But see, I include you in that number. So I guess that just also shows. I mean, if our- you're included in that number, then one. Really? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get into that then, I guess. Because, <laughs> because I honestly, now I feel like I don't know things about you that maybe I wasn't paying attention or something. Okay. Well, That's whatever, cool. you guys. So we met at a sorority because, <laughs> oh my God, oh, this is great. I'm going to pop it's my It's so up. funny, like when we talk to people oh, about great. it too, because they're like, I just, I just can't imagine you doing something like that. Like, it just makes no sense to people when they meet me. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, we, it's hard, Maya, because ours wasn't your typical, typical sorority that I think people think of. We were blessed that the organization we were a part of was one of the more diverse groups. It was probably the only one I didn't ever plan. I'd never even thought about the Greek system before I went to college. I was like, there's no way. Okay. That's not a thing, but I lived in the suite style dorms my freshman year. Okay. So like I lived with seven other girls and like five of the seven all went and they were like, we're just going to go to like a mixer um, and see what we think. And when we came back, um, we had met some pretty cool people. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll like, you know, go through the whole like recruitment process or whatever, not thinking anything of it. And me and one girl in particular were like the closest ones in our dorm. And we ended up liking the same house, which is the one we ended up joining. But like, we didn't, we all agreed, like, let's not discuss like our top right. picks or anything. You guys just like talk about your process. Group. You guys were that special group. I remember. So the, here's the thing. If you guys have never been through sorority recruitment, then you really have no idea what it is about until you actually see behind the curtain. Before Ooh. you step foot in any front door, you have already been seriously vetted by an yeah. entire group of women who have placed you in either the category of like, we've got to have her maybe we'll see what happens when she gets in here and like, no, she's not even on our radar. Like we could really care less. Also arrange the people who talk to you during recruitment according to that. That So it's not just like, it's not just they, they rank you and like, you know, they'll talk to you or not, but they specifically choose the girls who don't know how to talk to people who are really awkward and who will make you not want to join the house. Yes. To talk to you. It's, it's, it's literally almost scientifically designed that way. Um, and you don't know that walking in unless you know someone who's already gone through recruitment mm-hmm. who's filled you in on the process. Because, yeah, you've seen TV shows and movies, but, like, when you actually are in it and you see what that process is like, you're like, holy crap, we are literally... Hey, guess what? It's just like they say in the movies. That's not even a lie. <laughs> there's there's so many aspects of it that are the movies. You're totally right. Yeah. And in, in regards to just, like, the ranking system and, like, choosing mm-hmm. people and what you choose people based off of. So, anyway... So yeah, Maya's group was like a special group where if we, if you know, you have groups of girls because of our living dynamics, it's possible that you will have groups. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I have to, I'm drinking a white, a white cloth at 1030 in the morning because it's been that kind of morning, you guys. Um, I usually just do like a, 
like an iced coffee with some Baileys and some Kahlua. I mean, I'm not judging. Your cancer is personified. My mom, every time we go to (laughs) Vegas, is like, I need a mudslide in the morning if it's before 11. I know. I'm literally your mom. So, I mean, we have the same birthday. birthday, So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) I find little things out about them that just makes my heart. Okay. Anyway, Maya's group like that is a special group you look out for because you want a majority, you're trying to figure out if a majority of those girls are going to all choose the same house. Like if they Mm -hmm. want that kind of special bond thing, because sometimes it's some girls are strategic and they know what they're doing and they're like, Oh no, like all of us are getting into the same house and they make it known when they go different houses to just even doubt their chances that they do get the same of their favorite top house, whatever the Mm -hmm. stupid idea process is. So I was really naive to the recruitment process. I knew I gelled really well because they stuck the president of the chapter on me. And I was like, that's weird. And so also guys, a little thing too about our specific organization. It's only as old as 2009. I think Mm -hmm. fewer than like 500 women have even walked through that front door as initiated members of that house. So that's why I like prefaced it with like, oh, I'm so like, I have a couple people that I do actually keep up with that I care about. Mm-hmm. because out of the larger scheme, a number of things there aren't, to be completely honest, unless you're like a coworker or an acquaintance. And like, that's why we have that. Or like when we see each other, it's all good. I've just had really bad experiences with a lot of those women throughout moments throughout college. Mm-hmm. And I know Maya has too, and we'll dive into that. But just to show you guys, but it was more like, okay, our recruitment process. I was same with Maya. I went in with a group of girls from my floor because I was on an all girl floor. Mm-hmm. Um, RIP, that building no longer stands. And um, we all had different houses. I had my three top houses and that was my third choice. And then I thought I was a total shoe in because I was like the black girl. So I was just like, that's when I noticed. Remember when we talked about in our intro, you know, like when did you realize like your black was not white? And I was saying like, after my first example, I noticed that in college because of the Greek system, it started with recruitment. Like, I knew I was like, if I just show my personality and like, they know everything I've done and just like, you know, my ambitions, like I got it in the bag. And then when I didn't get it in the bag with the top two, what I had left of my top three became my one. And see all my girlfriends that I went in with recruitment went really wanted, they all wanted the top houses, like different girls wanted different ones. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. See, I didn't know what houses were top houses. I just knew which girls I liked. Yeah. I remember, I just remember my mom being like, you know, I remember telling her the prices of it during recruitment and like telling her prices. And she's like, Caitlin, no, like for, she was just like, I just don't get it for what, you know, like yeah. how do you try to listen and like super expensive comprehend. Yeah. Why am I going to be paying? I actually paid for my dues myself. Um, Not yeah. I, I mean, I've always like, my- well, for my parents, like I always, we always like try to find a way to like split the cost of everything because obviously like they didn't want me to work full-time during school. Yeah. But I also, I mean, I've been working since I was 15. So like, it was weird for me not to work. Yeah. Um, and I worked in the student union. And so, um, I was like, honestly, like I'm making money on working, so I don't mind doing it. Yeah. Um, so, and like, they weren't, they weren't realistically that expensive. I'm pretty sure I was on a payment plan. So I paid like, yeah. It got really a little bit once moved in the house and like had the meeting yeah. and all that crap. Yeah. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I don't even know where to start in regards <laughs> to just how me and Maya met. Cause I'm, cause I would love for you to kind of remind me because here's, here's the thing. 
I fucked up because I never made grades. And because of that, I was never able to take a little sis. It was the one thing I wanted to do in the sorority besides like just go alum, just like make it long enough to go alum and get Mm -hmm. that stupid ass stole and get freaking wasted and have like a senior ceremony. I was just trying to do that. Didn't happen. Kind of glad it didn't. But I couldn't do recruitment, which God bless because recruitment is hell. If you've never been through a sorority recruitment, you have to be at school like a week or two earlier than any other student who's not in a sorority has to be. You're literally spending 24 hours a day, seven days a week in preparation for recruitment. You are literally just like gearing up and learning songs and choreography and you have to buy certain outfits and clothes and you get a list of stuff that you have to have for it. Like Mm -hmm. this shit is literally like if you're going to a fucking work conference and they're giving you a checklist of things you need to bring so that you are adequately prepared to sit through seven days of work meetings and like, I don't know, it's wild. And like in retrospect, when you think about it, when you're out of it, it kind of is a wild process. I know people really love and just honor their sororities and their organizations. And I'm not trying to clown anybody for that. But like in hindsight, you really have to think about just the process and what it takes for us to prepare for these people to walk through the door. And then like what they have to go through just to get to the point of initiation and quote unquote, learning your secrets. And not even to mention hazing, we haven't even like touched base on that aspect of things. So it's like, it's a lot of shit that goes into just joining a freaking Greek life organization. Yeah. And like, and, and just to think about like, what are we doing all of this for because I in hindsight like when I look back on being in it going through the recruitment process was actually like a great learning experience because you learn how to talk to a lot of different types of people you learn how to be very presentable and even if that's not something that you really care about doing like those are still kind of good skills to have so that was helpful but like when you think about what you're actually doing it for like you're literally going through all of this process like just to pick girls out and see who's like worthy of your time yeah and it's just (laughs) that to me like always bothered me because when I was still in the house um your other potential little sis who I'm not going to name names was no longer like she had to drop out so I was in the house and she wasn't and I never cared because I really liked her like we were really close and I would take her to all these like Greek parties and like events and stuff because like I I was like, I don't care. Yeah. Um, like these letters like have brought me close to some people, but they're not gonna like also make me lose my other relationships. Right. So I still would bring her around. And the thing that bothered me most was when she rejoined, she like, and I was no longer in the house, like it was not reciprocated at all. And so I was like, we really like all went through this process just to be like re-socialized to hate each other again. Yeah, because I kind of experienced the same thing because there's a couple of girls I won't name because I feel like the list of girls who were dropped early on is a kind of a small list. Um, and I mean, some girls, like they literally had to turn in their letters, turn in plaques, like turn in anything. Yeah, I never had to ditched. do that. Like that was how, what it was. And like, you had to like have that awkward moment with your big sis where you handed it over to her and like gave her back your quill and your shit. I never did that. And it was like, bye. <laughs> And I didn't have to go through that. I feel like I was one of the first people that kind of started that generation. Like there were a couple of girls before me that I know didn't have to go through that, but like before us, 
that was not the case. Like I remember my pledging and like having seen girls get dropped and like seeing their big sisters like sad walking their shit downstairs to the freaking chapter meeting, whatever. Yeah. And I was really nervous actually to even stay around people because I remember there was an unofficial serenade with the boys next door after I dropped. <laughs> oh, there was no way in hell I was missing that night. And never did. There was, <laughs> there was I have still have those pictures from that night. And I just remember everyone being super nice, taking pictures with me and like posting the pictures. And I'm being like in that moment, really happy that like those 30 women who went out of their way to take pictures with me out of like the 60 who were probably there, mm-hmm. like did that and posted them to be like, we don't give a fuck that she's not here. Cause it's like, shit, it's the boys next door. She's going to be here anyways. Cause if I wasn't yeah. fucking downstairs, I'd be upstairs in a freaking room with a bunch of people. So it's like, whatever. Yeah, a lot of us were rebels. It was like three pledge classes back to back that were like, we just did not give a fuck about the rules. You know, because here's the thing. Sorry to, you know, whoever. I made it a mission. I smoked weed in every room I lived in in that sorority house. That was what I'd give a gift to myself. That was going to be my senior secret of like, you know, I smoked weed in every room I lived in. Bitches, what's up? Like, you can't stop me. I had guys in my room when I wasn't supposed to. Like, I had yeah. dudes over playing beer pong when it was winter break and we weren't supposed to. I had a guy hung over in my bed with the president of the fucking house in my room, not knowing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, by the way, <laughs> next door is doing initiation and like, <laughs> shit he's got to do. He's like coming here to sleep because he's hung over, by the way. And she's like, girl, you're just making it so much harder for me to like, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Like for me, it was more of just like, I entered this house at a point where we were still on the come up. We were still trying Mm -hmm. to form our reputation. We were becoming like the big bitches on the block. Like we worked our way from like brand new house, like the year before to top house in like, I don't know, two years, maybe where like we were in the top three of places that girls were writing down for their top three choices when it Mm -hmm. came to who they wanted to be with. So it's like, when you do that, like, I don't know. I was the first girl who was a freshman to ever live in the house who was a new member. Like I was the first fucking full black girl to be in that fucking house. Like I felt like I was an important part of the dynamic of that house in its entirety. Like no matter, even if I couldn't support them with like going to official events and stuff. Cause I didn't make grades. Like if you had an intramural game, like I was there showing up cheering for you. Like you were participating in a philanthropy. I was buying a shirt and I was doing what I needed to, to like help you win for that shit. So I mm-hmm. think that's also why I always felt how I felt after the fact in regards to how you get treated by some people, because it's like, if you guys needed someone to fucking step up and give you their fucking money, a broke ass college kid who's on fucking loans, $20,000 in debt, dealing with the bullshit you guys want to serve to your quote unquote sisters, like, fuck you. Like, I just don't get that. And I don't get how people don't get that, you know, like, and that's, if you guys don't know about sorority life, like everybody has philanthropies and that's a topic I wanted to touch on is like Greek life organization to have a philanthropy that is, you have a actual organization wide philanthropy and then some chapters have their own local philanthropies on top of that we didn't specifically we just had autism speaks which i think is a great organization i really enjoyed my time working with those people at different events along the years i don't know how problematic they may be i haven't really done some research they're problematic <laughs> they would be because they're just kind of like i don't know the saint jude of autism like i don't really feel like i see yes that they are for autism except for autism speaks so you know we could talk about that later but i'm always interested to know like how many people after they leave the greek life in college are actually still philanthropists mm-hmm. how many people put it upon themselves 
and this ties into Maya, what she's going to say upcoming about mutual aid. Like, do you even know what that is? Like, do you even dive in? Like, do you help at all? Are you doing anything locally or nationally? Like some girls do still stay on and are like representatives for the organization or like do work with Autism Speaks. And I do respect those women who have taken it upon themselves. Like this impacted me and I'm doing what I can to like stick with an organ. Plus, because bottom line, you are being a philanthropist. Like you are literally doing your duty for an organization and doing what you can to help out. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people aren't like that. I know a lot of people literally just graduate, move on, and they don't donate again unless it's a political campaign 20 years down the line because they own their own business and they got money like that. And like most I people really didn't know. join for that reason anyway. Yeah. And with they and during recruitment, you are required to have a philanthropy day where all you do is you're mm-hmm. only supposed to talk about your organization's philanthropy, who they are, what you do. They tell you the events. Like they want to get you you hyped about like this is the fun thing that we do in the spring whenever it is you that's know that's what really I, got me into that house because you know, I, I, the yeah. idea of the I loved the idea I thought it was going to be so much fun I thought it was lit like fraternity guys are talking about it and like it was a competitive thing so like I don't know I just whatever so anyway yeah. moving forward how mean you met do you remember when we even like actually met we probably met um at the house next door <laughs> Was it really then? Like a we, we, I'm pretty sure that, um, ooh, who was it that I was with? I don't know. I was with one of the guys and it was probably a friend of yours. I was like, I went to like go smoke somewhere and you were there and we just like started talking. Dope. I like that. Okay. That's how I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty positive. That's how we met because we had like seen each other in the house and like, we always would be like really nice to each other. Um, but we had never really had like an in-depth conversation right. and you were really real about like talking about the house. Like I only like people that are brutally honest and you were, you were that girl that was like, you know, um, you know, don't act this way or don't like let these things get to you. Like you were very honest about everything. And like at that time uh, when I was in high school, like I was never, like popular or like hung out with people that like partied or anything. Okay. And so like me being in the Greek system, like kind of got to my head, which like is very normal. It is. And honestly, like no one is going to be like, there's, there's no exceptions to that. Like at some point in your life, like this semblance of power is like going to get your head. And so when I was in the Greek system and I was like in this new house that like everyone was talking about, because like you said, like this was, the time that that house was really starting to like be on the come up. Like that's when people started knowing about us. Like my pledge class specifically like got our names. Like we hung out with so many different houses that we became super like, yes. And that's the thing is like your pledge class, I felt like got a, like a bad rep for being like wild children. I mean, you guys were wild children. We were. Oh yeah, for sure. We had your fair share of like, okay, girl, don't do that. But like, yeah. And that's that's the thing that I liked about you too, because you told me you were like, girl, don't act like that. What's wrong with you? I know that's not who you are. And see, and here's the thing. And I think that's another thing too, is I just feel like I had so many hands in cookie jars of girls who (laughs) felt like, they were the wild children who would come to me for advice. And I would sit yes, there. It you took did. you an hour for you to vent out how one of these bitches were treating you. I was there to tell you like, look, you keep doing you. Yeah, you're wilding out a little bit. There's a way to wild out. Let us show you how you can wild out with some grace and dignity. Exactly. But you're still that bitch. Because there's a way to do that. Like, listen, Issa Rae put out this t-shirt. What is it called? Sophista Ratchet. 
And my yes. mom <laughs> there is a way where you can be that girl who's got her shit together, who is smart and intellectual and can hold down any conversation about some real shit. But then when you turn it on and you get a few shots in you and you're with your girls or you're having a good time, you wild out, but you do it in a way where you're not going to end up on a picture on an Instagram somewhere face down, ass up, like to have websites and apps girl we had a snapchat whole snapchat that would be sex and doing coke and like sucking titties like i mean everything like that might blow your mind but that's college that that is real college and people don't talk about that and it drives me crazy because i will never forget being in a room full with greek people walking around a corner that i clearly wasn't supposed to be Mm -hmm. in that vicinity seeing people doing lines of coke and i was like oh we do that here this is how people getting down for sure. Let me turn my ass back around and go hit that hookah because that's more my speed and I'm not really down with that. So like, anyway. <laughs> so yeah. Um, also, Maya and I, okay. So here's the thing. Maya and I did get close. I remember us getting close and close to one of your friends who was like, you guys were kind of like two peas in the pod at the time. You guys yeah. were kind of known as that like dynamic duo out of your yeah. whole bunch class. And I remember you guys did spend time with other houses um, but Maya was over at the boys next door and the boys next door, big deal for me specifically, because <laughs> yeah. I'm still dating one. Um, but because <laughs> those were all my homies, I spent more time at the fraternity next door than I did at the sorority. And I actually would get talked about it with <laughs> yeah. president and people where they'd be like, uh, hi, so you're not really been as active as you used to. I'm like, oh, gee, I wonder why. Like, I mean, I don't know. Is this a welcoming environment anymore? Because I'm a little confused. So like... Yeah. And I, I like always, one of my biggest regrets too, was like, because me and that other girl were two peas in a pod and she liked another house more and we like lived together and stuff. It was just easier for me to go hang out there, even though like I never felt as comfortable at that house as I did yeah. like next door, because I really liked all the, those guys are just like, they were way more chill. Um, they weren't judgmental. And also there was very few white guys in that house. And that's a big part of why it was so much more comfortable of an environment for us. Yeah, that's literally what it was. And that's what it was with the boys next door. And we just gravitated towards them. And I really wanted Maya as my little sis. And I advocated so hard. I was like, I know I suck at grades, but like I am the best sister to everyone. And you know it. And you know that these girls should have me as their big sisters instead of who you're going to give them to. And like at the time you were kind of complicated because I don't know. <laughs> I'm still complicated. They didn't know who they were going to give you if it wasn't going to be me. So then, yeah, I don't fucking know. It all just kind of got sloppy. And I think it was more of like people didn't get anyone who wanted them. And you start having to ask people like, we know that's not who you want, but this is kind of who you have to get because. That happened to a lot of girls in my pledge class. I'm, I'm trying to think like from, from my specific group um, of fall 13, I think like two or three girls got the girls that they wanted. Yeah. And I, I advocated for that for you because she was still in the family and I thought it was like, okay, she hangs out with all the same people though, that you've still hung out with at that time. Because, you know, like those, that was the crew. And I think I thought it was going to blend wonderfully, but just time changes and things change and people change and I don't know I felt really guilty it was bad we had a very toxic relationship (laughs) which breaks my heart because I'm still good friends with her to this day it's okay there's no bad blood but it was just like she was very like she's a very aggressive person and I think we were both going through a lot of shit in college that we like 
never were able to like discuss like we never got to the point where we were like very open with each other and so like all of the stuff that we were maybe going through at the time like wasn't discussed and so it just became like very toxic yeah yeah oh that makes sense I mean which is fine because I honestly like I had I had very toxic relationships with most of the people in the Greek system because like I didn't feel comfortable there and I I couldn't be like vulnerable about all the shit I was going through in college. See and for me my yeah and my experience is a little different because I got a senior as my big sis and I roomed with a senior as a freshman and I don't really know how smart that was for me for my own personal journey in regards to life because while I think my big sis did her best to just like stay in communication and like be there for guidance, like when you don't have someone there to actually guide you like that, um, I do think that can kind of have a different reaction on you. And I lived with a senior who like even told me herself and she was an older senior, like she went to community college first, mm-hmm. transferred in. So I think by the time she graduated, she was like 24 already, like an, a 19 year old living with a 24 year old is kind of like, whoa. And I wasn't even 19 yet. I was 18. I, I was yeah, really sad that. when like everybody, cause you like eventually left yeah. and then like all of my other older friends like graduated and then I was just stuck with my pledge class. Yeah. Um, and I was the first one to leave. So. And it, yeah, and that's the thing. It all hits people differently, like depending on who you bond with, who you get close to at the time that they leave and go alum at the time people graduate and they just leave your city or your school. Like there's so many things that affect you, I think, when it comes to your Greek life experience. And that is something like I hate to say, but like that is a regret for me. I think that I didn't get to know more women in the beginning and I definitely have heard stories about how my recruitment experience went down and how my big sis experience went down specifically and how I was kind of already like marked for a certain person who just kind of was like, it's my senior year. This is what I want. I'm going to get it because like I'm a colony member and this is how Mm. I want to end my Greek life career. And it didn't even give me like it. I like sisters would admit to my face. Oh, we never really wanted to talk to you because of who your big sis was, because we just thought you were the certain way. And like, oh, now that wow. we're with you drinking and smoking and like, just seeing like who you really are, like are bad kind of a thing. And you know, like, I would though? bond with people like that, you know, a year in after the fact, because people just assumed because of who I surrounded myself with as an incoming freshman, people that didn't even stick by my side throughout my like Greek experience that's why I started to hang out with different people and my path kind of changed because I left for that semester and came back. And when I came back, shit was different for me completely. Mm -hmm. And I had to completely just gauge differently who I wanted to be, who I was as a person and like how I wanted to present myself to the community because the Greek life community is really fucking small. Like people know who the bitches are in every fucking house. People know who's like power hungry with their leadership shit. And like people who are like, little goody two-shoe rule followers who are mm-hmm. going to go fucking blab on you if you fucking do something that they don't like. Like, you pay all this money, you cultivate all these friendships, you have all these things just for people to just abuse power because, I don't know, mommy and daddy raised you that that's what they do too in their day-to-day jobs because I don't really know why else you would just decide to just put your nose in other people's business. Like, just live your own fucking life in college and do your own thing. Like, if no one else is stepping on your... And people would literally retaliate against other people. Yeah. I wanted this position. I didn't get it. You gave it to her. And because of that, I'm now going to be a bitch to her for the next semester and just, like, make her life a living hell. And it's just like, yo, you don't always get what you want, motherfucker. And, like, you should use the sorority experience to, like, teach you that in the real world. When you apply for promotions or when you apply for certain jobs and you're not going to get mm-hmm. them, you can't just go after someone and just terrorize them because you didn't get it. Like, no, you got to freaking put your head up, like keep it pushing and just keep doing you. 
people didn't get that. I don't. Oh, girl. Mm. I was gonna. So I was things. gonna say exactly that. Like the the Greek system is basically like what it taught me was how like the world works on a small scale. Yes. Like it's like this small little system of like hierarchical structures and like social like communication and like basically it it taught me that it is really important who you surround yourself with because I was a completely different person when I was in the Greek system the first like year and a half or so because I would I just like chose the people who I thought I liked and they turned out to like be people I shouldn't have been hanging out with and because of the way they presented themselves to other people like I got the rep of them even though I was never involved because a lot of the time like we would all go out together like we would pregame at the house and then we would like go out and like disperse to our different houses that we felt most comfortable so me and you would always end up together at the end of the night and then the next day someone would come up to me talking about some crazy shit that happened and thinking that I was there because all of my little group of like five girls that I always hung out with were involved in that I mean I remember I approached you and had a conversation where I was like hey just letting you know like I'm hearing that this is what's going down at these places like is that what you're doing because it's cool if that's what you want to do but like (laughs) maybe you're like whoa 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 no 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 I remember I distinctly remember that conversation because we had it at the house next door and like we were just hanging out and you were like Maya like I see you over here all the time and like we hang out but yeah you gotta be really careful because this is what I'm hearing about this girl and like these other girls that you're friends with and like I don't want you to be having that rep and that's the whole point of having big sisses I feel like and having your like comfort system throughout your freshman sophomore whenever you join so anyway just going back like I don't know I couldn't be Maya's big sis we moved forward it it was what it was you still taught me a lot I got dropped because I couldn't make grades and it was a really traumatic yeah, me too. <laughs> for me <laughs> because I always thought that I was just going to like figure it out and get by. I mean, I asked to go inactive at one point because my family was going through things. I was going through things. They denied that. I came back from, so I didn't pass my math class. So I had to spend a semester at home taking that math class to come mm-hmm. back to San Jose State. When I came back, the sorority was changing leadership. So when I first joined, you could have boys in your room. It was a very lax environment. Like we didn't really have rules because we didn't really have anyone from nationals watching over us. The house was brand new. So like no one was really there. It was like the construction workers were there building shit, but like no one was really regulating anything. So the time I moved in and like after my first year, they finally gave us advisors and that kind of just flipped everything upside down where like rules were instilled. We had to have house moms, like things just kind of started doing, I don't know, just changed. And I remember coming back and they were like, oh yeah, by the way, you're an academic probation. And I was like, why? I passed my class last semester. Like, I don't get it. They're like, oh yeah, we're not going to use your last semester GPA. We're going to use the one that puts you on probation that you like left with. And I was like, how does that make any sense? Like you're using an old GPA for my standards. Mm -hmm. And then they just kept doing that, like rolling it back to the previous semester if I couldn't get it up. So then it just became, I don't know, a stupid system that I got caught up in and never got my grades high enough where they needed to be, got dropped. But no, I had topics we were going to talk about and I feel like we've already been talking for an hour and I want you to get to it. It's okay. Okay, what are, what are your final thoughts on like the Greek system? So my final thoughts on the Greek system are this. Listen, if you're someone like me who is an only child, who is an ambitious person, you're like super active in high school and clubs and athletics and you're just a social person and you thrive on that energy and you want to continue doing that, 
while you're in college, I definitely do think it is a decent avenue for you. Mm -hmm. You can do that with clubs on campus. It does not have to be Greek life. You can literally join five clubs and still manage those exactly how you would for one Greek life organization. And so because of that, I do think there's definitely different avenues you could choose to take in college. Um, but if you do like the system of the idea of having a big sis, big bro, the idea of having your own littles, the idea of having a family quote unquote dynamic. I mean, the people I still hang out with to this day at 27 year old and celebrate master graduations and 29, 30 year old birthdays are people that I met in that sorority or in the fraternity next door. So no matter what bad experiences I had in my own sorority, no matter what weird random moments I might've had with the guys next door, like those people that I actually submit to those relationships with are still the people that are a part of my life to this day. So, I mean, I guess that does go to show for something. I know it is kind of a messed up system of buying your friends. And I also do have to say this, I experienced absolutely 0% of hazing during my recruitment and initiation process. I know there's a lot of people throughout the country that are not that lucky. Even people at San Jose State specifically go through the yep. hazing process. I've seen it myself. I've had girls text me asking me if I had to bring a list of inappropriate things with me to initiation. Like, I get that it happens. So you do have to be prepared to know that if you are in an organization that has been on a campus for over a century, you're probably going to be subjected to some traditional hazing methods. And if you're okay with that and you don't mind doing it, then that's on you. I've heard some pretty freaking terrifying stories about some fraternity yeah. at San Jose State University that really just blows my mind. And the fact that I've heard it more than once really just blows my mind because it just yeah. lets me know that these are some of the things that these guys are subjecting themselves to just to put two, three letters on their backs and chest. I would not do that myself. You got me messed up if you think I got to perform oral sex on someone or if you need me naked in front of a guy and you're going to circle my body parts, tell me which ones I need work on. Like you can go shove that shoe up your ass. And I mean, I don't know. But if you guys are down for that, then, hey, Greek life is great for you. The parties are great. You get into all the parties if you're Greek. I mean, you know, you do get privileges. Some people do get job opportunities because of the Greek life. Some mm -hmm. alumni uh, associations are really strong. You could flash those two names that you have, and that could get you in the front door somewhere or get you in front of somebody at a meeting. You have to take it for what it is at face value. So no matter what your experience is, good or bad, I mean, every year we hear about people dying. Every year we hear about people who are getting hazed to the extreme. They're going to the emergency room. We hear about really deep racism, really racist parties. Um, rape and sexual assault is still super rampant. I dealt with women I lived with, roommates who had their own sexual assault experiences with fraternities, with guys who I had to block off of social media because I just couldn't stand seeing them act like, you know, they weren't terrorizers during their college days so take it for what it is those are my final thoughts on greek life because it's a really murky world but it can be a lot of fun if you use it to your advantage and you find good like-minded individuals who do nothing but uplift you and help you succeed rather than tear you down judge you and just leave you when you don't fit their agenda or mm. you know because that happens and yeah i mean shit Sisterhood. <laughs> yeah um i just i think that no matter what you decide to do it's really important like college is such a weird time for all of us um 
I don't know. I was very like naive in college and I just wish that I had, I wish that I was like more the person that I am now where I'm like very comfortable with myself and know myself really well because I wouldn't have done half the things that I did. I was very misguided. And I think a lot of people are like that. So I would just say like, whatever you choose to do, just protect your energy. Be very aware of who you surround yourself with. Um, And also remember that like, no matter what organization you join, there's going to be some sort of power structure. Someone at some point is going to go on a power trip. If you're a person of color, you will get mistreated um, because that's how life works. And college is really there to teach you like on a small scale, how society actually works. So like, just learn from it, no matter what you decide to do, because there's a lot of things that I took out of Greek life that I've like learned from and I'm now a very different, I don't think I would be the person I am if I hadn't seen some of that shit, to be honest. Yeah. And I feel like I can talk to anyone now. I feel like no matter oh, yeah. what life or background you are, I feel like if you walk up to me, you want to have a conversation. I might not want to have it with you, but I can get my way through it. And mm-hmm. I definitely think a big part of that is Greek life and meeting new people. And I a hundred percent agree, you know, and I, and Hey, I mean, you really do get to meet people from different backgrounds. They might you be do. the same type of bougie white capitalistic but everyone comes from different walks of life there are yeah. people who are there working their way through college who are badass motherfuckers there are some people that are there sister. just for the philanthropy who are like really yeah. dope people i had a pledge sister who took like 20 units every semester badass and like now she's married with two kids and i'm just like girl you are just superwoman like i don't know how you do the things you do mm-hmm. i mean there really are you know and maybe there's, there's good and bad people in like all organizations so just think about it the same everywhere way you are exactly a job anything so yeah i mean and there were so many other topics I wanted to touch on there were like actual racism cases that happened on San Jose State's campus in the Greek life there's actual things but maybe we'll touch on it later maybe we'll just have it as a second part yeah I want to end this by saying we stand with Gregory Johnson's family which we will definitely talk about in a future episode um who was a Sigma Chi at SJSU who was um was killed but ruled a suicide as most black men are Um, and they just reopened their case. Luckily, this is, I think the third time they've reopened this case. So we're going to get into that at some point in the future, but we definitely support that family. Um, we just want to have an episode about it. Yeah. We'll we'll definitely like post resources and stuff. Um, because what happened to them is just really messed up. It's really traumatic. Um, we, and Maya and I have been hearing about that since we stepped foot on campus. Oh yeah. I feel like it happened in like 2008 or nine, right? Yeah. It wasn't very earlier before I, and I walked on in 2011. So, but uh, like it's 2020 and this is the third time the case is being brought up. So that's how, you know, how our justice system works. And maybe third time's the charm. I don't know, but we shall see. you guys i'm really excited because (laughs) maya and i just talked forever about greek life um and now we're getting into the real and integrity mutual aid we've kind of planned out like what we're going to be talking about so that they can kind of relate and um and so that we we kind of like can prepare because especially for me like i like to have notes caitlin likes to ask questions so like we kind of prepare i mean like we try it a little bit <laughs> just we try to have some structure you guys we're not just <laughs> but pants for promise even if it sounds like that we just i mean we kind of are but like also not entirely <laughs> we have some kind of idea um but anyway so it's actually really funny because mutual aid societies are technically classified as like fraternity 
fraternal beneficiary societies. Hmm. So there's lots of different types of like nonprofits. Um, and of course, I've talked about this a little bit before about like the nonprofit industrial complex. Yes. Um, which is why I really wanted to talk about it. And it actually ties in very well with Greek system because the Greek system, like if you never did philanthropy before the Greek system, then it kind of like teaches you what doing community work is about in a way. Um, and one of the main reasons why I joined was because when I was in high school, I used to, um, what was even, I mean, I don't even know what it was called, but basically like you could sign up to be like a buddy for one of the kids in the special needs classes. Mm. And then like, you would go to like different events together. And a lot of like, there was this one kid at my high school and his name was Scotty. And he was literally like the sweetest, funniest guy. And he would like stand at the door of the high school. Mind you, our high school had like two to 3000 people. And he would like stand at the front door and like say hi to everybody. Give everyone a high five. He remembered like at least half or more than that of everybody's names on campus. Like he was super sweet and he was like one of the special needs kids, but he was definitely one of the more high functioning ones. And so um, we used to do that. And so when I got to college, like that was kind of like joining that sorority was kind of my little like way to reconnect with that and kind of like keep going in that same realm of like, you know, learning more about people with special needs and like the spectrum of That's autism and so stuff. interesting you say that because I know there's more than one other person who's joined because they used mm-hmm. to work with special needs or they yeah. were becoming special needs educators. Yeah, a lot of thought, people did like behavioral therapy and stuff. Yes, and so it's so interesting because, you know, that's a big reason why people, you know, so I just find that interesting that anyway. Yeah, like, it is. So continue, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I was looking at, I was like looking into mutual aid because I know about mutual aid from Hella Black Pod. If you don't listen to it, like it's a great podcast. Mm-hmm. It's in the Bay Area. Um, it's Blake and what's the other guy's name? Delancey. And they're like in Oakland and they actually have their own mutual aid society. It's called People's Breakfast Oakland. And like the reason why their organization is so important is because they're basically like carrying on the legacy of the Black Panthers. Mm. Because if you don't know, the Black Panthers originated in Oakland. Um, and one of their biggest programs, if you've, and if you've ever read Asada Shakur's um, autobiography, you know this, um, one of their biggest focuses was like giving out breakfast to like school kids. So they would like give out food to kids in like all of these communities where like their parents either don't have the time to feed them, don't have the money to feed them all three meals, which is why they send them to school. And sometimes those kids school still don't provide them with meals Um, because these are black and brown kids in low income communities. So one of like the black Panthers main like programs was giving free breakfast out. So it's amazing that they're like carrying on that legacy in Oakland with people's breakfast Oakland. So their organization was founded in 2017 And I didn't know about it then, but I think I found out about it maybe in like 2018 or 2019. And I, when I started listening to the podcast um, and learning about it. And so since then I started like looking more into mutual aid societies because I was like, what even is this? Like, what does this mean? Mutual aid is just like a way to create community resilience um, because there's so many different types of ways that you can like give back to your community And there's a lot of ways that you can like redistribute your money without ever having to like to go to the bank. And that's like, we've talked about this too, was recently like trying to find other ways of banking. Like, can we go to a black owned bank? Like, how do we donate better? Um, Like, what are alternative ways to give back? 
And so that's basically like the focus of mutual aid, lending circles, giving circles, like those are all kind of in the same realm. Mutual aid, pretty much, it's not just monetary. A lot of the time it's things like People's Breakfast Oakland, where you go and like they give you food. So one of the organizations that I volunteer with here in San Diego um, is a mutual aid society that has come up because of COVID. Okay. And I know a lot of them are in response to crises. So right. like a lot of these organizations are founded because like they have to react to something really quickly. Right. People need so these are the people stepping up to do something. Exactly. And it's usually like it's usually nonprofits that already do like kind of similar work in other spaces. And then they like come up with um, like an emergency fund. And that's what mutual aid Um, a lot of them come about. And so I've been seeing a lot of them during COVID because as we know and have talked about before, like the government is useless. (laughs) Just awaken all my second stimmy, like, uh, please uh, give me- Stimulus that we got in like, what, March? April. (laughs) It's been four months, (laughs) y'all. Like that's ridiculous. And so like these things are, they, they haven't always been like ways to respond to crises. They actually are usually like already established, but I've been seeing them a lot now. So that's why I want to talk about it. So it, it's not just monetary, like it's a lot of social services as well. So there's organizations that like are giving back to seniors and like trying to help with senior care and elder care right now, because that's a huge issue right now. Yes. Um, in California, Governor Newsom tried to cut a bunch of senior programs. Oh, no. um, yeah. It was really bad because we, um, my grandma has dementia. So she lives in a full-time care facility um, and her house is like gated off because she will run away. Yeah. And like certain ones, like the Alzheimer's and dementia people have to be like in a gated area because they like try to leave. Right. So um, she, she lives there, but she also goes to like a senior daycare kind of thing. Okay. Where she can like go interact with other seniors, um, you know, like she has like her coloring book and stuff that she like, she does like all these different activities because even though she can't remember things, she's very active. Like she's very much still get through her day. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that people don't like realize about seniors, I think, is that no matter how many people you have in your family, like you always need peers to connect with. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of elders lose because people pass away and then they don't have like this other infrastructure to support them from people who are just like them. Um, So that is another way that like they provide services to people. Okay. And so mutual aid, it's almost like social welfare services, but it's in like a nonprofit kind of way. So it's not exactly like, um, like insurance or social security. And the reason why it's so important is because like, there's been so many cuts to public spending that affect middle and low income families. And I was reading up on this on resilience.org where it says, where it talks about like how it affects underserved communities as well as middle income families. They help with facing the rising cost of health insurance, higher education, housing crisis, um, difficulty accessing credit for people in middle-income families. Whereas like in low-income communities, it's more like um, helping with loans, crippling debt, like interest from credit, things like that, Mm -hmm. because they want to help those people kind of establish themselves in a way that middle-class communities already are, but still have struggles because these mutual aid societies mostly affect like communities of color. So yeah, so that I read on resilience.org and I was like, this is crazy because I just never, when you think about these things, you you usually think of like low income and underserved communities, right? 
And so that was just like really cool to even see that that was a thing. Yeah. And then there's also like a really interesting history of mutual aid societies because they didn't just like randomly come about recently during COVID. Um, And I found this page that actually lists all of them based on um, the community. So they have like African-American mutual aids. And one of the first ones is obviously the Black Panther Party. Um, And they did like free breakfast. They have like NYC shutdown. Then they have like Latinx mutual aid societies. One of the biggest ones was Sociedades Mutualistas, um, which basically just means mutual societies. Um, They have a Puerto Rican group called Chacha Jimenez. Um, They have Chinese American mutual aid. So that was like established at the time when like San Francisco, a lot of people were going there, going there and like needed help with like just regional responses. And they also obviously have like big groups that work with indigenous populations. So one of the organizations that I've been kind of just like donating to is Bluff Area Mutual Aid because um, the Navajo communities are like not having access to electricity, clean water. Dude, I don't understand how we've gone so long in this country without actually doing the right thing by our native American people. I just honestly, it mind blows. Like we just throw them, like just sweep them under mm-hmm. the rug. Like they don't scream about it. It's not, and they, that's the thing is like, they do scream about it. And yet I just don't get it. It's my fault. Yeah. So my mom is actually reading the indigenous people's history of the U S and I highly recommend it to everybody. Okay. Um, because my sister found it and she is a history teacher and she teaches uh, world history and ethnic studies. So in her ethnic studies class, she really wanted to like incorporate a new book this year um, because they're doing online learning. Mm-hmm. So she's using that um, for her class. And so my mom started reading it and she was like, literally just in the first chapter, she's like, this is so devastating. Like it's so hard to even get through this book because my whole life, all I've been taught is that like the natives were wiped out. And the reality is that they still are around and they've been forced to live in a way that they're not um, seen by society because they don't want you to know all the atrocities that they've done to them. I mean, it's it's incredible, like the lengths we have to go through through, through watching certain documentaries or reading certain literature to be mm-hmm. able to know what's actually going on. Because without that, we would have no idea. Like... I'm thinking that everyone knows what's going on and we're just all choosing to turn a blind eye to it and like wait for certain politicians to get into power to actually address the fact that a lot of work needs to be done within these communities to make them thrive again. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know how long it's going to take for them to finally get their day, like their due diligence, everything like their reparations are just ridiculous. I just don't know how you're supposed to give back land and opportunity and generations worth of people you can't like there's nothing that we could honestly do that would make up all of the atrocities committed against um black americans and indigenous people in america um but you know like the key there is that these like mutual aid kind of organizations they're doing the work that the politicians are never going to do like we we try to you know, some of us try to vote because we have the ability to, like, I know I hate voting and I don't believe in the government at all. Right. And the bipartisan system is absolute garbage. Like you have the right and then you have like right light. Like it's, it's all the same party. So like, I hate voting, but I also like, I'm descendant of like indigenous and African people who never had those rights. Um, 
And even in the Dominican Republic, just this year, like the election got messed up. So like, I'm lucky that I have the privilege to be able to do like mail-in voting. Like I have a house that I can put down as my address right. and send in a ballot. Right. That's, a, that's a huge privilege. Like as much as I don't believe in the system, I'm not going to not do that because I feel like I owe it to my ancestors. Yeah, and that's how we feel right now, you guys, because like Maya mentioned earlier on in the episode, Kamala Harris was just announced as Biden's uh, VP. And I know I posted a video of my initial reaction because I was really troublesome. I was like, really? That's who he chose? Like, I just didn't get it. Like, people who are now going complete 360 on things they said literally four or five years ago, you know, these people attacked each other during the Democratic nominations just to even get the nod for president. Like, Mm -hmm. it really blows your mind when you, like, sit back and think about the fact that these two are going to work together and, like, try to be the two people for the next eight years who are supposed to get us on a better end of the side of the table than we've been sitting on. But, like, oh, my God. It's just, like, I hate that we are given so such little representation that we're expected to just, like, accept any Black and brown person. And that's how I felt. That's why I was crying in my video because I literally was like, damn, like no matter what, if I have children and they have children and they ask me about politics, like I am going to be a person who says, but in the grand scheme of it all, I voted for the re-election of the first black president of the United States of America. And I voted to put the first black and South Asian woman into the White House as a vice president. And mm-hmm. she won. And she did this. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's monumental. Yeah. That's why it sucks. It's because I've seen so many tweets that are like, you know, we can't even congratulate her. It's like, we're already just jumping down her throat of all the bad she's done. Like, can we just give her this one moment to just be like you're rep- this is historic this is historic for women for blacks for south asians this is a historic moment this is a really big fucking deal and not even just for women even for men who have single mothers who work their mm-hmm. ass off who want to do local government what about them like what if like there's so many people that this can just benefit from and and like that's why i just get so upset about it about what we've seen right now happening within the last 24 hours because people are just like we know how messed up American government is. Yeah. That's why mutual aid even has to be a thing because our (laughs) government can't get its own job done so that we, the people have to establish these things. We literally have to feed each other. Yeah. To give someone breakfast. I used my mom used to make me pancakes and bacon and eggs for breakfast when she was a stay at home mom. Like that's a thing that I sit back and I get so upset about because that was our privilege. We were a Mm -hmm. military family living on a base and my mom had the privilege of staying at home and cooking three meals a day for her family. I had a freshly packed lunch every day. There were days I did get school lunch, but I never had to worry about if there was money on my card or not. Mm -hmm. I never had to be embarrassed knowing that my parent was a school employee. So my lunch only cost 35 cents when the kids next to me cost 250 like so many I remember so many times standing in line just having conversations with classmates about well who's got money and whose card is this and what's and like these are we were in third fourth grade these are not something you should have to work like that is so traumatic for children and especially like children of color yes like why do we have to keep going through this yeah what did like and that's and I that's the thing like if things were just right and people just had equal opportunity across the board there wouldn't be a need for so many of these mutual funds. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. have mutual aid funds. Like they wouldn't have to pop up at the rate that they do. 
Exactly. The expense and like, like Maya said, we're feeding each other. It's mm-hmm. literally gone to that point now where we're literally having to dip into our own to give to the people who need it most because without us, there would be nothing. Yeah. And that's why this is important. And like you were saying, like, it's just, I, I was, I was seeing all these tweets, which I like, I retweeted all of these where it's like, I'm, I'm allowed to hate the system and not support politics and still recognize that this is a historic moment. Like those two things can be true at the same time. Yes. Like I am a Caribbean woman and I'm a South Asian woman. And I have never like Kamala Harris is the first person I ever saw that I was like, wow, there's someone who's like mixed with almost the exact same thing that I'm mixed with. Who's not who actually has power. power. This is a real ass person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And this was, and like, she obviously like came to the table before I was aware of all the stuff that she had done. Um, and also even before I realized how much I, I don't support the justice system. Yeah. Like it, it, I've done a lot of learning in the past, like two years about like how exactly everything works in this country okay. in order to get to the place that I am now. So like when she first was running um, and they announced her, like I was still learning a lot about the justice system and I just didn't have the opinions I do now. So I was definitely like a huge supporter of her. Um, because like I, you, you don't ever see Caribbean representation and you definitely don't ever see South Asian representation. Right. So like to have the two of them combined, like I've never felt more seen in my life. Right. So it is disappointing that like, I, I feel so represented and so seen, but at the same time, like I still, I I couldn't like in good faith actually support her as a politician because I just don't support any politicians. I just don't support the whole system that they, it's like cops. It's like, I don't believe in the system that you work for. Therefore, no matter how good of a person you may be in your intentions, like you still are choosing to participate in the system. And I feel the same way about politics. I mean, that's just wholeheartedly honest truth right there. Yep. Because that's how I, Hey, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, there's just like, it's, it's just a lot of feelings that we're feeling right now. And it's hard because all I'm focused on is feeling safe for the next four years. Yeah. And I don't feel safe if the current administration. No, I agree. They're not doing their job. Because it's not I'm just afraid. that they're not doing their job. They're actively trying to hurt us. Yes. And my thing too is there's only so much mutual aid can get to. There's only so many people who can benefit from it. Mm-hmm. I have a girlfriend who works for the city of San Jose who has been continuously sending me resource after resource for like rent assistance Mm -hmm. and being like, you know, like this is a really shitty time for people who are being forced to not work, who are being forced in the service industry to not collect tips, their literal means of a way of life. That's what that extra unemployment benefit was for me. That extra Mm -hmm. 600 was basically what I make in tips on a weekend bartending. So then if you take that away and I rely on tips from people to get by, I have $40. I did the math. $40. Which you also shouldn't have to rely on to live. And that's even, and that's even with California's minimum wage being $15. It's just the cost of living here. is just so freaking expensive that the only way people could get by here wholeheartedly is that the minimum wage is $25. But if that's the case, everything else is going to just increase because that's just the way economics work that we would still, no matter what, you just can't catch up in California until it would have to be a dramatic change and how we operate and how we go about our goods and how Listen, we about consumerism and capitalism. Capitalism needs to be gone because right. that wouldn't like every other system caps things like right. they give you a minimum wage and they also cap like how high inflation can go. Right. 
And America's just so greedy because it's just this free enterprise thought process of like, well, you put in the work and you make it happen. You get to keep whatever you want. And it's like, if Jeff Bezos can single-handedly end world hunger, why don't you force that upon him? And then you tell him, look, you do that and then you don't get your money touched for another decade. Do what you want with it. Save it, invest it how you will. And then we're going to have to revisit it again because there's going to be another problem that's going to persist. And after Oprah and these people do their thing, it's going to be right back up to you again. Like, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. if you choose to be a billionaire, a multi-billionaire, why, why do we even have to worry about mutual aid? Yeah. single-handedly erase all of these mutual aid funds if you just wrote a single check. And it wouldn't even be anything off, like it wouldn't be any issue for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why we get to operate in a world and in a country just in general where that's our system. Yeah. I, it blows my mind that you have to have people go out of their way to create whole ass businesses to do the bare minimum. I, I don't know. It I just know. My heart. It gets me really upset. Like we're even in the situation still. I know. And, and the, th- the other thing is like, I see a lot of people like wanting celebrities to like speak out on these things and like donate and all this stuff. And I'm like, you're expecting people who are exploited because they can entertain people to fix the problems of a corrupt capitalist system. That's what you're asking of people who don't even know what to do with that money because never in the history of their family have they ever had it. And that's the thing, but that's what sucks is that our only saving grace are celebrities or multi. Yeah. Those are don't know shit about anything because our government is what trillions upon trillions of trillions in debt to China and other entities. Like how are they even going to get out of it? I I mean, honestly for America as a country, we are in such deep shit Mm -hmm. that I, it's like the worst episode of game of Thrones, watching the Lannister, like money just run dry. And you're literally sitting with the bro. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like that girl with dragons over there is going to come kick your ass and we're going to give her all the money to do it. <laughs> That's literally what I feel like China, Japan and Russia are like doing right now. They're just kind of sitting back and they're just like waiting for their moment. For us to like, just like implode mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't see us going up. I don't see how any politician in nine years lifetime over the next 20, 30 years is going to be able to get us out of that debt, get it paid back to where we're actually in the green as a country and here has a roof over their head and is thriving and prospering with a job and like putting into the economy. I just don't know if it'll ever happen, especially before the planet blows up. Cause it gets so hot. Like mm-hmm. I'm afraid. What do we do? I don't know. Anyway, back to mutual aid. Yes. Um, so I have a, <laughs> I have like all of my Instagram, like saved stuff in like separate folders, right? Cause I'm OCD. So I have a let capitalism burn tab. Um, and I have this amazing, um, little, you know, those little like graphic uh-huh. maps. I have one for mutual aid, which is awesome. And it literally like, this is, this is exactly what we're talking about. It says like, what is mutual aid and how has it shown up in in history? The main question is how do we support us when systems and structures have historically been designed to fail our people? Like that's exactly what they're doing because all of these systems are not built for us to be sustainable. It's not built right. for us to support each other as people. And it's definitely not built for us to support the planet, which we take resources from. Uh-huh. Like literally right now in... um this island called Mauritius, there was a huge oil spill. And this is an island that's like off the coast of Africa in the Indian Ocean. And 
literally like their entire like livelihood depends on the ocean and they're having a huge crisis right now because they don't have the funds and they don't have the aid to like clean up such a drastic spill which shouldn't even be happening like oil needs to be in the ground like it shouldn't be being transported everywhere so like it's just like all of these things oh it's just exhausting I'm starting to feel like these things happen on purpose to like fuck over areas and like cause travesty. So it's just like one less group of people you have to worry about because I don't get yeah, it. Or, or one more group of people that have to rely on your system of greed. It's one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But that's, I mean, but that's what mutual aid is. It says, how do we support us when systems and structures have been historically designed to fail our people? Mm-hmm. Um, and so these are all rooted in African practices because of course, like, <laughs> they're the people that have established pretty much everything in this country. So of course, like the diaspora is like the informal network that has put together mutual aid historically. Right. Um, and so basically like there's a ton of resources that they provide. So like from funerals to healthcare, to like education, to low cost loans, like all of these systems that we just can't, a lot of people don't have access to here or systems that like are just entirely wrong. Like the education system, our education system is all Eurocentric, very like nationalistic, um, which I mean, granted a lot of things are like each country individually is going to be nationalistic because you want your citizens to like support your economy and such. Yeah, so let's speak the truth in America at the very minimum. Exactly. Um, and so it's definitely just like with any organization, you really have to keep in mind like the the things that are guiding you. And so I, I've noticed this in the nonprofit industrial complex is like, even though they have a, a mission and like a set of beliefs, because they become so big and are now part of like this entire like entity of nonprofit, they really like lose sight of what they're doing. And it turns out to be like exactly like every other system where it's like white people in charge giving out money to people who have less and that's really really harmful for us you have to really like ask people what they need and listen to it and then act Mm -hmm. and what i see a lot in the nonprofit industry um with people who are like professors in academia um they they aren't not only are they not in the communities that they're claiming to serve they're not even interacting with those communities to know what they need So like you're claiming that you're helping these people who have never heard of your organization. Right. And like, I posted this whole series of stories um, a couple of weeks ago because I'm, I was reading this book um, by uh, D Watkins who literally like he, he just like wrote random articles about how vote culture is like stupid and hinders progress. And he's from Baltimore and he was like talking to a buddy about black lives matter. And the guy's like, I don't know what that is because like he doesn't, he doesn't have access to the internet. Black Lives Matter isn't in his city. It's like middle-class Black people who are trying to give back, but, like, their entire platform is digital. And, like, these people don't have access to it. So, like, that's... that. I think that's so important with, like, not even just mutual aid, but any sort of, like, assistance you want to provide to people. Like, you need to ask the people who need help what they need because they know what they need better than you do. Right. I just get images of Donald Trump throwing the paper towels in Puerto Rico after the hurricane. And I'm just like, that's what people do. You know, they give you things they think mm-hmm. you need in reality. It's like, bro, I need so much more than some damn paper towel rolls. But anyway. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
to you know, tell you what I need instead of you just providing what you think uh, is going to get me by. But yeah, it's like ask people and listen to them. Right. And we were just talking about this on my other like mental health platform where um, we were talking about anxiety. And mm. we were like, what do you need when you're anxious? What would you tell people mm-hmm. to help you, to support you when you're having an anxiety attack? And it was like, listen to what I'm saying and accept that it's the truth. Right. Don't ask me why I'm anxious. Don't ask me like, oh, how did we mess up? Like, why is it my fault that you're now anxious? Like, just believe that I am and that it's like a clinical condition and there's no reason. Like, you have to just listen to people and accept their truth without projecting yours onto them. Yeah. That's key for any, that's key for supporting anybody. Sure. Um, the second thing is no historical conditions and context. This money should have been in our communities in the first place. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, like this historical context and knowing like the conditions that people have lived in historically really helps frame any sort of like supportive network. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't support people if you don't know their history. You yes. can't practice a religion if you don't know the history of the religion. Um, you can't participate like in wellness without understanding where the wellness industry got all of their material from mm-hmm. so it's like all of these things are so important and like that's the reason why the argument of I don't see color or you know why does race always have to be a thing like it's a thing because we have a history of being underserved we have a history of being targeted we have a history of not getting the reparations that we should have gotten a long time ago right and then the third thing is access access what your collective like look at what your collective skills are, see where the gaps are and see like who you're really reaching. What's your goal? Like, who are you serving? Do those people have access to the internet? Because we forget that a lot of people don't. Which is so crazy to me. And I saw that with um, the distance learning going on and Mm -hmm. seeing how many families are like, I cannot provide my child with a laptop because we don't even have one in this house as a family. And I don't know who you think you are. Like, right. No, I get it. Mm. Yeah. I, I just think about like when I was younger, and I don't know about you because you're you are an only child. So yeah. and my um, dad worked in information technology, so free love. Oh, there you go. Sometimes, so yeah, I I have no perspective on this besides being very and, and like my parents, like I've always lived in a, in a dual income house, and my parents right. were both scientists, so like we're very lucky there. But when we got a computer, like we had one computer that was yeah. for all five of us, right? So if this had happened when I was a kid, I wouldn't have been able to do distance learning. Hell yeah. Like who, like me and my sister are literally a year apart. So like who gets the priority of who gets to use the computer? My parents who are working or us. And and for my family, because before it got to the point where my parents were a dual income house, if it was just us living off of my dad's military salary, we had one computer for the family for years. So Mm -hmm. my dad's off at work. If my mom wasn't a stay at home mom at that time and she needed the computer while I had to do distance learning, we would have been fighting over the fact I would have been an elementary school kid who would have had to been like, well, I have to wait for my mom to get done with her work. So, I mean, there's levels. That's Mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. Um, The fourth thing is identify your base. I think a lot of people like, a lot, I see a lot of people, um, and especially white people have always been doing this, but I just see a lot of people thinking about like everything on a really large scale. They're like, there's so many atrocities in the world. How do I help? But really like you have to identify where you live now and how you can help in that area. Because 
if you think about it, if everybody decided I'm going to assist my one community and everybody did that in their community, we'd all be a lot better off rather than the same people going to the same countries and trying to like help develop them. That's not helping anybody. No, you're just pushing people out and getting your own agenda taken care of under the guise of, but this will help bring in more money to everybody here. Yeah, exactly. So like really identifying where you want to help and why working in your specific community is so important. Um, And then it really just says like the last two are just about like practicing your values and aligning with them because that's a huge thing that all of us kind of lose sight of at some point, especially if you are in nonprofit industries, even if you work in a mutual aid society, like you want to get to a point where you don't have to keep on soliciting money from people because that's very stressful. Um, And for people of color who are doing this work, it can be very traumatic and triggering because you've had to struggle with finances your whole life. It's so hard to ever ask people for help when Mm -hmm. you're just so used to being down and out. And I mean, I think, I think everybody should be able to appreciate that on a different level. But I mean, when you're really privileged like that and money's just this foreign concept to you, just always being there on a piece of plastic. I mean, shoot. Yeah. And like me and you both come from like middle class families. Um, I wouldn't say that I noticed a struggle with finances when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Same. Thinking about it now, I know that the reason why my parents were so strict about everything was because they did have to keep money really tight. Like they had three kids before my mom was 35. Yeah. So yeah, you could technically support your whole family on two incomes, but my dad was like in school still. So we were a lot of the times working with one income for five people. And I know that there's a lot of families that have like a 40 K income that are supporting yeah. five people. Yeah. I don't know how those people are surviving, but they shouldn't right. have to be surviving on that. Exactly. Um, and like, on, like you said, like on any scale, like everybody has gone through a time where they struggle with money mm-hmm. or like they are surviving with the bare minimum because they have to, and you learn how to do it and you adapt, but does it make it okay? No, no. And I'm, I'm honestly, um, like to be really transparent right now, I'm going about to enter that season of my own life because mm-hmm. I didn't make some like financial mistakes in my twenties when I was working full time and kind of relying purely on a salary. So now it has gotten to the point where it's like, okay, I have to think about what's best for my own personal thing. Do I have to do a consolidation loan? Do I need to sit down and actually think about bankruptcy and learn what that is so that I can just do something for five to seven years and then be able to do all the things I want in my mid thirties. Cause I'm still young. Like there's all these things you have to think about in regards to what your next steps are when you are going through financial hardships, because it's like, that's how I feel with unemployment right now. I'm just like, I don't know what the heck is happening. I don't know when I'm going to be getting more money from the government. Mm-hmm. I've got my leasing office calling me like, Hey, just checking in, seeing if you're going to be paying rent. Like, you know, no one's going to be paying rent right now. You know, that's not, there's a reason why the moratorium is still in effect. There's a reason why I'm being protected right now by my county. Like, and you know, and it's like, no matter what position you're in, even if you're continuing to work from home, like everyone's going through something. I don't know. I just, what a time I have, what a time to be, to have to go. It's, I know. The human condition is very interesting for us all. And there's so many different avenues we have to hit because we're all going through so many different things that are so common. It's like, everyone's got to worry about rent here, food here, you know, doing your own part, giving what you can, not feeling guilty about that. 
your own mental stress, your own self-care, yep. your family environment. You know, are you living alone? Are you living with a partner? Are you living with family? Like, did you leave your city to go home? There's just so many things. Have you been continuing to work from home, but you are depressed as hell because mm-hmm. you haven't done anything but leave your living room or your bedroom for the last five months? Like, I don't know. We have a spinning wheel of just... Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, there are. There's so many different issues that, like, we are not equipped to handle because the U.S. as a as a culture doesn't talk about things. No. Like, this whole thing of, like, talking about our history and being transparent about all of the atrocities that have been committed in this country, it starts with that. Like, you're literally taught in school to not address things. You're taught to just throw everything under the rug and, like, reframe things so that it works to your advantage. And haven't you noticed that there's this alarmingly large group of white people that feel very attacked on a daily basis that like yeah. they aren't allowed to just live their normal everyday lives. And it's like, but don't you get it? It's we're talking- Don't you get that this is our reality? Right. And it's like, people have been suffering for generations. And just because, just because you, I don't know, it's just crazy to me. Like, I'm so thankful for the white people who reach out to me and who are like, I hear everything you're saying and I'm completely on your side. And it drives me crazy every single day to see stupid ass white people making the rest of us who are normal functioning human beings look bad. <laughs> because it's not even the fact that these people are yeah. operating on a higher level than these people. They're just normal people with functioning minds who just agree in basic levels of humanity and equality for all it's not really a hard concept to grasp like and it's just wild to me it's just really crazy to me that people are actually feeling offended and attacked like their whiteness is being attacked that's the point it has to be attacked yeah. and it's also and like if you're letting you do your thing i mean we don't get anywhere <laughs> what about us <laughs> and, the, and the thing is like if if your whiteness is like the core of your entire identity, you have a problem because the fact that you're feeling attacked because of like your ethnicity or like the people that you came from Mm -hmm. rather than realizing that like you have all these other skills that you could help people with. Yeah. Literally all it takes to help other people. You don't need to have money. You don't need to have resources. Um, you don't need to have access. If you have one skill that you can take and like go teach it to someone who would never think of acquiring that skill to better themselves, you're helping them. Right. Who wouldn't have the access. Or yeah, like the bare everyone has something. Voice. Our voice is free. And if you're going to choose... And I think that's why I'm so upset with social media these days is because you're mm-hmm. choosing to use the voice you have to only highlight your own personal brand or whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is you're trying to create content and views because you think right now is the time to like come up because everyone's at home doing nothing but watching content. It blows my mind. It's appalling, honestly. And it's so funny because we're seeing like this movement take place in the digital space right now. It is not any different than the movements of the past. And like, James Baldwin and Asada Shakur and like Malcolm X, like all of these big leaders that like led the civil rights movement and like black liberation and all these things, like they talked about people using movements to become celebrities, to gain clout, to gain privilege and access. And like, it's not any different. We're just seeing it in a different space. It's exactly like before, like we have to be very careful about who we surround ourselves with, who we talk to about these things. And like, 
staying true to our values because it's really, really easy in a capitalistic system to like get distracted by money and power and privilege um, because those are the things you're taught to value. But you really have to like go back to your roots and think about like, what are your real values? Are you here to like help other people to connect with other human beings and make sure they're doing just as well as you are? Because if you stick to those things, like you'll find a way to help people. Thank you. And you know what? I love that you say that because I always, that's a challenge I have for myself personally when it comes to my book, when it finally is ready to be out. I have like six people lined up for dis- different aspects, mm-hmm. like putting together audio visuals for a trailer, doing a screenplay, doing a soundtrack, doing the PR marketing. Like I have people already lined up in my head that I know would kick ass at just the opportunity to present this to the rest of the masses if it came yeah. to that point or just to help me even get to that point where it's like, not only is that good for me, now this is on your resume. You get to be that part of something that might just mm-hmm. touch people. Cause that's all I'm trying to do is just reach an audience of people who need to just relate to a story, just have a place to escape to. And I just feel like, I don't know what happened from people just being like me, 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 and not thinking about their own intimate community and the community. Exactly. Like I'm trying to do this for women and black women. I'm trying to do this for millennials. How I feel like we have such a bad rep as millennials. Like, We literally had to watch our world go from VHSs and Walkman and floppy disk to what it is now. We have literally grown with this entire tech boom and we've seen what it has done to our big cities. We've seen what it does to our rural communities. Like, I'm sorry, I was in third grade when W. Bush was like, all right, Iraqi freedom, let's go. We're about to just hit this for the next decade. Let's get it popping. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's just crazy to me. And we get, we get this bad rep and it's so funny that we do because all of the millennials that I know, and it's maybe because of the people that I surround myself with now, but all of the millennials that I know are like given a bad rep because they aren't willing to take shit from people. You're given a bad rep because we actually care more about providing for the people that we know. And we don't want to work for some big corporation that we're just going to work for and make money and do what? And I have, I just had this talk with my parents in Florida where I got, I had to have that talk with my parents too. Yeah. I got super passionate. I was upset. I was cursing and I was like continuously apologizing for just how I was speaking about it because I was like, you know, and, and you're someone with a college degree and I'm someone without. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it comes down to not finishing when I had the chance and time to finish back then when I didn't have adult responsibilities and how that looks for my life now the maneuvers and the adjusting that I have to do in order to still have a stable life for myself and how, you know, well, you gave up a 50 K a year job when you were only 21 years old. Like how could you choose to do that when you could probably still be there now, probably making upwards of 70 to 80,000 at 27 years old. You know what? Yeah. That couple thousand dollar paycheck every two weeks might be nice, but I'd be super depressed. There was a point where I literally couldn't get out of bed to go to work. I was making myself sick so I could call in and be like, I'm sick. I don't know what I have, but I just can't do it. Mm -hmm. No, nothing was wrong with me. I literally just mentally turned my 
physical self into being so upset with having to go. And it was because I was working for people who were making more than me, who got perks more than me. And I'm doing 75% of the work and getting about 15% of the praise. And I'm a 21, 22 year old having to tell 50 and 60 year olds in a property management dynamic, you got to pay me $8,000 because you brought in bed bugs. They don't want to hear me say that. They're looking at me like a child. Who's this little girl telling me what I got to do and where I messed up at? It's my job. I can't even do that because yeah, I am young, but I know my shit and I'm doing my job. Can't even do it. Why would I stick around for that? Why would I stick around for that? What? Because your generation and your parents' generation, the one before them would have stuck around for it just so that they could put food on the table because back then, I don't know, it was just a different- You had kids when you were 20? (laughs) Right. Because you had to feed six mouths. Like I only have to worry about me. Like, yeah, I live with my man, but we got our own separate thing. Like you eat, I eat. Oh, you want to be nice and buy me food and vice versa? That's great. Oh, you want to grocery shop together and split it? Cool. But like at the end of the day, if I had to rely solely on me, I'm taken care of. Like Mm -hmm. that's all I have to worry about. I'm not 27 years old, married with six kids, trying to send them all off to college in the next 20 years. Like kudos to those of you who are in your mid to late 20s who have your kids already, because yeah, by the time I'm 40, I'll just be starting out with kids going to school and you'll be celebrating the fact that they're in college and you're done. But you know what? Probably just be getting married around then. So, right. But yeah, so, you know, no, but, and that's, that's like the harsh reality too, is like, you didn't get your degree and I got one and I still got treated exactly the same. And I still left my corporate job because I was depressed and anxious all the time and couldn't get out of bed and hated my life. And it's like, you so like, it's literally no different. Yeah. And you want to have boundaries. Like not everyone experiences what we do. Some people get very lucky, even if it is a career or a role that they had absolutely no intention of ever having. Some people mm-hmm. just find their groove and their footing. Some people are okay with the nine to five Monday through Friday lifestyle. They thrive in it. It doesn't bother them. It's what they've always aspired to do. I mean, I used to grow up as a little girl playing secretary because I thought it was really dope <laughs> filing and answering phone calls and transferring. Like I thought that was a great job. And then I get older and people are like, like, ill administrative work? Seriously, that's what you're aiming for? Like, that's what you want to do to make money? I'm like, well, I don't have a degree yet. I don't have a major yet. I'm still trying to figure it out what it is I really do want to do because the avenue I thought I wanted to take looked nothing like I thought it would. But here you are looking down on me, but I have a job and I have a roof over my head. Mm-hmm. So why? Then the anxiety and the insecurity hits. And I'm like, well, I ain't shit because, you know, I don't work in a fancy building in downtown San Jose off of North First Street, but you're working in sales and you absolutely can't stand it. And you went to school for, I don't know, a psychology degree. And yet, <laughs> are you practicing? No. Exactly. Like, yeah. And that's why like the the concept of like actually going back to your community and thinking about like the people that you want to help is so important because it's like, why are we all sitting around judging each other when we're all miserable working corporate jobs and like doing things that we hate doing? But people just all hate our lives. So why are we being so judgmental and instead not helping each other? And people either don't want to admit it or they're just fabricating and acting like they're living their best life. When in reality, exactly. you, know that you would prefer to be doing something else in order to make your money. Mm-hmm. You're just used to that two, $3,000 paycheck every two weeks because you work some fancy tech sales, whatever job. And because of that, because you get to pay for everything and you get to save up for that Gucci belt, you've always wanted to flaunt on Instagram. You think you're living your best life, but in reality, it's like, no, you're just happy that you can pay for your food and drinks to be bougie on the weekends because that's all you have. Well, and because you, you do that because it makes you feel better than other people. 
It's not actually making you feel better. It's not making you any happier. You're just glad that you have a one up on somebody else who can't afford those things. You're hitting this, this, this fabricated social ladder of like things people need in order to look like they're better than people. Mm -hmm. Like I follow people who go on luxury vacations because they're rich. And then I follow people who are like, you know what? I don't even know the last time I went and took myself out for a meal because I'm saving for something that cost me $20,000. And I've been eating turkey sandwiches and ramen for the last six months. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? You're on your grind. And I respect you way more because you're publicizing the fact that you're struggling because you're trying to obtain a goal. Instead of somebody flaunting their shit, I don't know. It's just weird. Like the way we operate, and that's why I always get on people about being transparent on social media. People are like, oh, you say too much. You give too much information out. But you know what? That's real life though. I'd much rather you guys Mm -hmm. judge me for like whatever life decisions or choices I've made to be wherever it is I am than to sit back and be like, oh, okay, well, I work this job I hate. I'm, you know, I have a non-prescribed mental health state that I don't take medication for. And not only that, you know, hey, I'm doing good because I just took a weekend vacation to San Diego and was on a boat with all of my friends. But back to the grind on Monday. Like, no, you hate your life. (laughs) But you just can't admit it out loud because you don't want to be one of those people. But here we are. I know. And it's just like, it's so interesting to see how how some people are like judgmental of people who are being vulnerable and I I just finished reading all about love by ball hooks and we were like talking about it in my book club and stuff and it just talks about like being vulnerable like you can't actually you're not going to get anywhere in life you're not going to like have any true connections with people or true like success um, and true happiness unless you can be vulnerable. So like all of the all of the ways that you're very transparent with people, like I mean, that's you're gonna learn that that's the only way that you've been able to maintain all these real connections is because you are able to be transparent. And a lot of people are so busy um, getting caught up in what other people are gonna think about them that they can't even be themselves. And I would much rather like people shit on me and be like she shares too much or all this stuff because first of all we're definitely not sharing all of our lives like there's a lot of stuff we still keep secret yeah um and so even the little bit that people see us being vulnerable now as we've gotten like into our mid-20s it's just so much more liberating to live that way and it's so much better like you realize the connections that you make are so much more genuine like I've met so many amazing people in just like the past six months because I've been like volunteering and like trying to learn how to organize in my community and like all of these people are really trying to help and you start to see who's genuine and who's not and that's see and that's the thing and that's wonderful because I've also found too that when you're more vulnerable people are paying attention even Mm -hmm. if they're not making it known because those are the people that do finally reach out they are people who want to support you and who want to uplift you and who want to share your stuff and people where you know And I get it. Social media can be really scary for people. I've noticed there's so many people who just sit back and watch everyone's stories or like everyone's posts, but they haven't posted anything in two years. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why are you on Instagram? Why are you on Twitter? Like all you're doing is just watching everyone else live their life while sharing absolutely nothing about what's going on with you. You're also not using it. Right. You're just using it to watch everyone else do what they're doing. And you're not 
contributing anything. And to me, that's more awkward and creepy and weird than like being too vulnerable and like offering you something to look at. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you probably feel exactly how I do. You're just not comfortable putting any of it out there for whatever reason. We all have our reasons, but yeah. You're not using, you're not using social media to its fullest if you're not making social connections. Like that's the whole point. And if I'm trying to make it in this world, I need social connections in order to get by. Unfortunately, that's the way this world is being built. That's how it seems to be framing and being used. And if I can connect with people who I would have never met, that's what I love Twitter for. I have so many people who have followed me on Twitter and I don't have that many followers, but like I'd say I have from a solid 20 to 50 people who have followed me strictly because of the Cowboys, because of my perspective or post about them or because of my political viewpoints. And it was shared by one person who reached out and was like, Ooh, thank you for saying that because literally I don't know why people don't get this. And like, I just, I, I hear, I hear you. We're on the same level. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so dope because where else would I be able to do that at? Exactly. Without that, I wouldn't even be able to get like, and that, I don't know. It's just weird to me. It's like people who just don't leave their hometown. That's like a small middle of nowhere space. It's not like you live in a metropolitan. It's like, no, you're from a small little town with a few thousand people and you just choose not to leave. You're never going to know about anything else that's out there. You're never Mm going to meet people who just have something different to offer you. And it's just going to be this one track mind and some people want to live life that way. And you know what? Power to you. I hope you live long and well and prosperous and you can keep something <laughs> to the community. But like, hey, sometimes exactly. we got Like, that's just not, that's just not us. So no. you, you can live your life that way, but that's not what we're here to do. So we got heavy lifting, I guess, for you, you know? Well, we'll put it on our backs, like most <laughs> multi-ethnic. We're used, I mean, we're, we're used to it anyway. Like, right? this has been our whole life. So what's, what's just one more thing? What's just one more <laughs> I just wanted to say one more thing. Like if anybody who is listening to us and like is like you or me um, and isn't working and is struggling, like I highly encourage you to look for these mutual aid societies in your area. Yeah. Um, look for nonprofits. Look into um, how you can get groceries sent to you. I deliver groceries every week. So mm-hmm. there's definitely someone in your town doing it too. Yes. Um, there, There's so many resources out there and like, like we're saying, like be vulnerable and ask people for help because if if you ask them, you will receive. Like yes. people will give it to you. There are good people out there who are doing this work and like you can find them if you just ask for the help. And don't be discouraged if you get a no. Just because you get one no doesn't mean they're all going to be no. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely reach out because just because you don't qualify for one or hit all the check marks on there's another. so many there's gonna be somebody out there and and the thing is is the more people that say no the more that might even work in your favor being able to tell someone look i've reached out six to eight times and mm-hmm. i'm on my last leg for hope that might be just the last thing you need even if you don't qualify so definitely like maya said there's so many out there the information's there and if you need any help too, you can hit up our Instagram and I know Maya or myself would love to be able to link you to a resource. If you do need help or just guidance, Maya has really great resources and information she could probably already save that she could just shoot your way if you want to do that. So that's definitely an option as well. Yes. No, but thank you guys for writing with us. I know this episode was filled with a lot of dialogue and information. Um, but that's how all of our episodes are looking to be. You know, we just got a lot to say to you guys and we want to make sure we can get it all to you guys. And yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for supporting us. Like 
we definitely had way more people listen to our intro, which we just put out. Um, so I'm really thankful. Like we appreciate y'all support so much. And like, we're just having a great time recording this podcast. So yeah. thanks for listening. And we have so many episodes ready to put out for you guys. So don't think that, you know, we're not ready for you. We are, we're getting the ball rolling. So <laughs> I'm excited. We're just getting started. So this is great. Thank you guys so much for hanging in with us. Bye.